0: The year in review, Medicare regulation and legislation, enrollment statistics, and major industry trends. The state of the senior market brought to you by Ritter Insurance Marketing. Welcome back to the second episode in our state of the senior market series. This is a special series presented by our president here at Ritter Insurance Marketing, Craig Ritter. In our last episode, Craig talked about Ritter's Year in Review. In today's episode, Craig covers Medicare regulation and legislation.
1: Hi, I'm Craig Ritter, and I want to welcome you to episode two. In this episode, we'll be covering Medicare regulation and legislation. So let's get started. First, let me give you a quick overview of what we're going to cover in this episode. We're gonna start with uh, a little bit, a very brief uh, conversation about MACRA. I think if you've been in the industry for a number of years, you probably have heard plenty about MACRA, but we're just going to cover that as those legislative changes have taken effect as of January 1st of 2020. Then we're going to get into the 21st Century Cures Act and talk about how that impacts Medicare Advantage, We're going to get into the 2021 advance notice, and this piece of regulation is very impactful in the Medicare Advantage and Medicare Part D space. So we're going to get into a good bit of detail. I'm going to try to pull out some of the aspects of that regulation that could impact you as an agent and how you might want to change some of your behaviors or change some of your activities, refocus some of your efforts, to be able to maximize your sales for 2021 and into the future. Next, we're gonna talk about the health insurer fee. The health insurer fee is a tax on all health insurance premiums that was repealed for 2021 and what are the implications of that. Get into the proposed reimbursements for next year and then talk about some pending legislation that could pass in this Congress or in the next Congress and how that might impact your business as well. So let's jump right into MACRA. I think as you all know, MACRA had two primary changes. One was changing from a HICN to a Medicare Beneficiary Identifier or MBI. That was rolled out over a period of years. It is now fully effective. So we will no longer be using HICN and that started as of January 1st of 2020. We will only be using the MBI. Next are changes to Medigap. So with the macro changes, Plan F is no longer available to Medicare beneficiaries who qualify for A and B as of January 1st of 2020. Those Medicare beneficiaries are able to purchase uh, a Plan G. Individuals who aged into Medicare prior to January 1st, 2020 are still able to qualify for a Plan F. So you could see lower premium Plan F, possibly, in 2020 where you might be able to uh, show a Medicare beneficiary a lower Plan F rate than their existing Plan F as long as they qualified for A and B prior to January 1st of 2020. For those individuals who are just attaining eligibility now in 2020 and going forward, you can offer Plan G. One alternative that we see is we think there could be a resurgence in Plan N because Plan G will become the new guaranteed issue plan for, for Medigap, where Plan F was customarily the, the guarantee issue plan. Now we'll see more guaranteed issue and open enrollment business flowing into Plan G. So we feel Plan N could be a great alternative, a lower cost alt- alternative for, for your Medicare beneficiaries. So just a couple things on 21st Century Cures, and then we're going to get into the implications of it. It did two things relative to Medicare Advantage. One, it has already happened, you're already probably familiar with, as we are currently in our second open enrollment period. So the first thing that the 21st Century Cures Act did is it eliminated the MADP, which is the Medicare Advantage disenrollment period, and it instituted the OEP, which is the open enrollment period. That started last year, so that was the first OEP, was in 2019, 2020, we're in our second OEP. So during the OEP, if you have Medicare Advantage, you can switch to another Medicare Advantage plan. The second thing it did, which is upcoming, is it would allow enrollment for individuals with kidney failure or end-stage renal disease. I'll call it ESRD for short. That's a mouthful. But starting January 1st of 2021, individuals with kidney failure or ESRD will be able to enroll in Medicare Advantage plans. That was the only health condition that was carved out from Medicare Advantage and starting this annual enrollment period for one effectives, you'll be able to enroll individuals with ESRD. So now let's get into the 2021 advanced notice. All the talk right now among the health plans is how are they gonna handle this new influx of individuals with ESRD. A couple of facts about folks, just so you can understand all the issues and how this might impact the overall Medicare Advantage market. So again, I mentioned starting October 15th of this year, for 1-1 effectives, you can enroll ESRD patients in Medicare Advantage. Now ESRD patients only make up about 1% of the Medicare population. About 500,000 individuals have kidney failure and about 90, 85 to 90% of all ESRD patients in the United States are currently on Medicare. Now, even though they only account for less than 1% of the Medicare population, they account for 7.2% of all fee-for-service claims. So the average claim for an ESRD patient is 10 times the normal Medicare beneficiary. So you can see why this would be a concern for Medicare Advantage plans to be able to cover this population. Typical costs for dialysis uh, on a calendar year basis is about $100,000 a year. And that wouldn't include any co- comorbidities or any complications. In a lot of cases, there are. These individuals are very sick. They require dialysis multiple times a week, which is very costly. And it could also impact them with other unexpected hospitalizations which can be very costly. So really your baseline cost just for dialysis is about $100,000 a year. It can be many multitudes of that cost, getting into hundreds of thousands of dollars if an individual requires inpatient hospitalization for other, other conditions or you know, as a result of the, of the kidney failure. The only cure for ESRD is to have a kidney transplant. And that cost is actually being borne not by the Medicare Advantage plan, but by original Medicare. So Medicare carved out the reimbursement for the kidney transplant, and that represents about $4 per member per month. So you'll see that when I get to the proposed reimbursements for 2021, you'll see that there's a lower increase in the reimbursement rate for traditional Medicare Advantage. And part of that has to do with the fact that the kidney transplant is carved out of the cost for reimbursement because it's being covered by original Medicare. Now, you might ask, uh, you know, where are these individuals currently who are on Medicare? Already there are about 120,000 end-stage renal disease patients that have Medicare Advantage plans, and that's because they have acquired kidney failure after they were already enrolled in an MA plan. So if you acquire, if you have kidney failure post-enrolling in a Medicare Advantage plan, you can keep your Medicare Advantage plan. However, if you had ESRD prior, you were not allowed to enroll in in an MA plan. So there's already about 25% of the dialysis population is in Medicare Advantage. Now this, still the cost of caring for this population is a major concern among the health plans. I've already been talking to health plans and kind of how they plan to approach it. So, you know, one thing is to to think about is because this population is very frail, has high cost, there could be less likely, in my opinion, a little bit less likely to want to switch their insurance while they're being treated with kidney dialysis. So, may not see as big of an influx, I'm thinking there might be a doubling of the size of the ESRD population in Medicare Advantage from the current 120 to about maybe a quarter of a million. So maybe roughly half of the dialysis patients may be in Medicare Advantage. CMS is pushing for some cost reduction programs. The top of the list is home dialysis, which is less costly and actually more effective in treating kidney failure. So that's something that CMS is working on. The other thing, the other impact you'll see is. Not only does this impact the ESRD population, but it's a major change and it will impact traditional MA for people who don't have end-stage renal disease. So for the first time, we've seen an increase in the maximum out-of-pocket, or MOOP, for Medicare Advantage, and I'll show you that on this next slide. So there are two maximum out-of-pockets that a Medicare Advantage can use. One is called a voluntary MOOP. The other is called a mandatory MOOP. So the mandatory is the maximum out-of-pocket that a plan can have. And the voluntary MOOP, if a plan elects to use the voluntary MOOP, they have more flexibility in terms of cost-sharing on on other benefits. So the voluntary MOOP is increasing only slightly. It's going from $3,400 currently to $3,450. So if you're selling Medicare Advantage plans that have a low MOOP, you're not gonna see a big impact there, only a $50 increase. However, look at the next line. That's the mandatory MOOP. So it's going from 6,700, which is the number we've, I guess, known and loved for like the last five or six years, basically as long as I can remember, $6,700 was the max out-of-pocket. That's jumping the whole way to $7,550. So an $850 increase for the mandatory maximum out-of-pocket. So you may, you, know, you may look at your book of business, you may look at the plans you're selling. If they have a $6,700 MOOP, there's a pretty good chance that they could jump to $7,550 in 2021. So you wanna think about how you're gonna explain that to your clients, that, that change. It does affect about eight to 10% of the Medicare Advantage population are impacted by the maximum out-of-pocket. So with the increase in the mandatory MOOP, you're experiencing some cost shifting. So there will be some of the cost that is going to be borne now by non-ESRD patients that is shifted to them away from ESRD patients. So that's really how to think about the change in the mandatory MOOP is it's a bit of cost shifting because Medicare Advantage is now taking ESRD patients. Now let me get into a couple changes for the prescription drug plan. These are kind of minor changes relative to the change in MOOP. So we're gonna see an increase in the deductible. It's going from $435 in 2020 to 445, so a $10 increase. The ICL, or initial coverage limit, is increasing to 41.30, and the OOP, out-of-pocket threshold, is increasing by $200 to 65.50. So really modest changes in the standard prescription drug benefit. A couple other modest changes in benefits an increase in the total benefit cost threshold—it's increasing from 36 to 37. What this is is it's just the amount that a Medicare Advantage plan, on an actuarial basis, can change their benefits from one year to the next. Pretty modest change from 36 to 37 dollars. And finally, the skilled nursing facility copay is increasing by six dollars, up to 184 dollars for days 21 through 100. Now let's talk about some changes that CMS is proposing with star ratings. These are pretty significant. You notice that a lot of uh, the Medicare Advantage plans are now four star or higher rated. So CMS is looking to raise the bar for Medicare Advantage plans to try to get fewer plans in that four star range. So you're gonna see increases in the thresholds for Medicare Advantage plans, so you may see fewer four-star plans in the future, and that's really a cost-saving measure by CMS to try to reduce the cost of Medicare Advantage to the taxpayer. So with this increase, CMS is really focusing on the patient experience. There was a lot of focus on clinical measures in the past, and these are now going to be more focused on the member experience. So the CAP survey, complaint measures, access measures are going to be doubled in weight starting in 2021, and then will be quadrupling in weight in 2023. So those are the surveys that uh, Medicare beneficiaries complete each year that CMS sends out to, to Medicare beneficiaries. Things like complaints, denial of access, all those types of measures are going to receive a much higher weight. So you may see plans looking to you to try to improve the member experience and member satisfaction, as that's going to be a much more important measure, overall satisfaction will be a much more important measure in the future than it has been in the past. Next, CMS is increasing uh, flexibility in providing non-primary health-related supplemental benefits, things like meals and non-medical transportation for individuals who are chronically ill. Additionally, CMS is going to expand the definition of chronic illness, so there'll be more opportunities for non-primarily health-related benefits, and also there'll be more people who qualify. Another exciting thing for those who who work in rural areas is CMS is working to expand access to Medicare Advantage in rural communities. It's doing it in a couple ways. So, CMS has network requirements where 90% of the Medicare beneficiaries in a given region must have access within a certain number of miles or a certain driving distance to primary care and to specialty care, so you need to be able to see a cardiologist or other specialist within that uh, service area in order for the plan to achieve network adequacy. CMS is reducing this from 90 to 85%, and they're also giving a 10% credit to time and distance if the health plan uses certain telemedicine services. So I think the implication here is that you could see a lot more Medicare Advantage plans, a lot more network MA plans in rural markets. So look out for that in the future. Next, on DSNP look-alike plans, CMS is really going to be cracking down on health plans who are not full dual eligible special needs plans, but instead use a traditional MA plan to enroll duly eligible individuals. So first of all, you know, there's a kind of a term of CMS calls these D-SNP look-alikes, is what the terminology is. CMS really quantified exactly what that means. So it's not the name of the plan. It's not the benefits of the plan. It's very simply if 80% of the Medicare beneficiaries in a particular plan are duly eligible and it's not a dual eligible special needs plan, then it's considered a D-SNP look-alike. Now, I read the regulations on this, and the way it will work is if there's not another d available in that market, then it would not impact the D-SNP lookalike. However, if there is another D-SNP option available, then CMS will not be renewing that contract. They're going to give a transition year for uh, 2021 for plans that have both the D-SNP and the D-SNP lookalike. So if there are both, then there'll be a one-year transition if not then that plan that plan would be disenrolled as of 2021 so if you are selling plans that are dis- it's a little bit confusing though because how do we exactly know i don't think there's any statistics that the plans present to us as far as what percentage of their population is duly eligible there's no public data that i could find that would tell this so i'm kind of looking to the health plans maybe to give us some information because if you're currently selling a DSNP lookalike and that plan is going to be disenrolled in, in 2021, you certainly want to know about it well in advance and not find out on October 1st. So there'll probably be more to come, but I just want to give you an early preview that if you are selling these types of plans that you're going to need to consider your moves in the next few months on how you're going to position your book of business. So some other, and these are kind of technical changes that are happening, you know, smaller changes. First of all, CMS always issued a call letter. Now they codified the bidding requirements, so there won't be a call letter going forward. This was the process of the advance notice and rulemaking process. So technically, the rule is still a proposed rule. The rule will not be finalized until, until after the actual capitation rates come out in April. So then plans are, suppo- are supposed to bid based on the, on the final rule, which should be approved before the bid process is complete. Next, CMS is adding a sixth tier to the prescription drug benefit. So this would cover both prescription drug plans and Medicare Advantage plans with prescription drugs, MAPD plans. So there will now be not only a specialty tier, which is typically Tier 5, but there'll be a preferred specialty drug tier. So these are would give the Medicare Advantage plans and the prescription drug plans the opportunity to negotiate better rates for specialty drugs, which we all know are very expensive, and be able to price those specialty drugs on their own unique tier starting in 2021. So look for that. Next, CMS, this is a little bit more into the future, but CMS is going to require prescription drug plans to provide a real-time pricing tool for Medicare beneficiaries. This starts in 2022. Additionally, I thought interesting, CMS will allow the health plans to pay their members or provide them with a financial incentive or reward just for logging in. So they can can provide a $15 per login reward and up to $75 annually to the Medicare beneficiary if they log in and use the real-time pricing tool. Finally, CMS is going to require Part D plans to disclose the quality measures that they use with their pharmacies to measure performance in their network agreements. This is a big one that affects Medicare Advantage pricing and the benefits that your clients receive. So in late 2019, Congress did repeal the health insurer fee, so that was a a lump sum of money that was allocated across all Medicare Advantage plans and other health plans that was paid to fund the subsidies for the ACA. Now, this is a big number. It's actually projected because the repeal is effective as of 2021, but this is a $15.5 billion tax in 2020. Again, it's gonna be repealed next year. Typically, it's considered to be about 2 to 2.5% of your revenue goes to pay this tax. The tax is not deductible, so it's not a deductible expense for the health plan, which really impacts the ability of the plans to lower their premiums and to increase their benefits. So good news is that this should improve plans for 2021 with the removal of the health insurer fee. I'm projecting about a $15 to $20 per month improvement So that could be a $15 to $20 lower premium on a Medicare Advantage plan, or it could be an increase in the other benefits that Medicare Advantage plans offer. And of course, this is all other things being equal. So it is a sizable impact, a sizable improvement to Medicare Advantage premiums and benefits starting next year. Finally, I want to get into some pending legislation. These are all measures that are supported by the National Association of Health Underwriters. So first I wanna talk about from the most likely to pass to the least likely. So I wanna talk about the COBRA fix Bill, that's HR 2564. So if a Medicare beneficiary is working for an employer and they leave the employer and they opt to enroll in COBRA and not continue active employment, this is not considered creditable coverage for Part B. So it's something we call the COBRA trap. It happens not too frequently, but when it does happen, it's catastrophic. So if a Medicare beneficiary elects COBRA, they may keep their COBRA coverage for 18 months, and then they go to the Social Security office to enroll in Part B. They're going to be told that they don't have credible coverage. So a number of bad things happen. First, they have to enroll during the general enrollment period, which is January 1st through March 31st. Second, their coverage is not effective until July 1st of that year. And third, they're penalized 10% per year every year for the rest of their life on their Part B premium. So what this legislation proposes is to make COBRA coverage considered creditable for Medicare Part B. So we favor this. It would really save a lot of cases. I'm sure if you have a lot of clients, if you've spoken with a lot of people, you've run across one or two times that this has happened, and it's a really catastrophic event for a Medicare beneficiary. So we do support this legislation, and we are hopeful that it could pass in the current Congress. Next is H.R. 1682. This is a little bit less likely to pass. This has to do with observation stays. So under Original Medicare, under Part A of Original Medicare, requires a three-day hospital stay prior to getting a skilled nursing facility benefit under Part A. Now, in a lot of cases, Medicare beneficiaries are in the hospital for three days, but a portion of that stay may be considered observation. CMS does not count observation as a part of the three-day hospital stay. So if that happens and they're discharged into skilled nursing, Medicare will not pay for their skilled nursing. So this is a huge cost burden that's shifted onto the Medicare beneficiary. In a lot of cases, they don't even know. And what's worse, hospitals have up to a year to be able to recode their claim. So initially, it may have been a qualifying claim for skilled nursing under Part A. However, if the hospital recodes it, then that bill falls onto the Medicare beneficiary. And we all know how expensive skilled nursing facilities can be. So it is a major expense. So the proposal is to consider observation observation stays as satisfying a part or all of the three-day hospital stay for the skilled nursing benefit. We consider this a little bit less likely. It does have bipartisan support, but at this time it's not attached or not part of a stronger bill. So it may have difficulty passing Congress in 2020. And finally, probably the least likely, but another another issue for actively employed Medicare beneficiaries who want to participate in an HSA plan with their employer. So, if you if a Medicare beneficiary does qualify for Medicare Part A, which they get on a premium-free basis, they are disqualified from being able to participate in an HSA plan. And that not only means that they can't contribute to their HSA, but it also means that the employer can't contribute. So a lot of Medicare beneficiaries are working later beyond the typical 65-year-old retirement. In this case, the employer would basically be discriminating against the over 65 population because every other employee in the company, they could make a contribution to their HSA account. However, for the Medicare beneficiary, even if they only have Part A, they would be ineligible for any employer contribution and ineligible to make their own contribution as well. So finally, I wanna get into the 2021 proposed reimbursement rates. This is really what drives the benefits, what keeps premiums competitive in the Medicare Advantage market. I've listed a couple, a few columns here. So I went back to 2019. So you can see the final reimbursement rate was 3.4%. We saw a slight decrease in 2020, actually 2.5% for this current year and then you can see the proposed rates for the advance notice. So this is important really for two reasons. It's a little bit less. It's a little bit less than 1%. So there's a good chance that we'll see a higher number when the final notice comes out in April. It comes out the first Monday in April every year. So we may see a little bit higher than a 0.93% increase in Medicare Advantage Typically it goes up a half a percent, sometimes it goes up by a full percent, so it would be good if we saw an increase in the the final notice. It impacts two things. One, clearly the number of dollars that are funded by the federal government to support Medicare Advantage are passed through to the Medicare beneficiary in the form of lower premiums and better benefits, but second, this is the number that drives agent commissions. So a higher percentage typically means a higher increase in the Medicare Advantage agent compensation guidelines that CMS puts out in the summer. So we're, knock on wood, we're hoping for a little higher number than 0.93, and we'll know that number in early April. So I want to thank you for staying with me through this entire presentation on regulation and legislation. Coming up in Episode 3, we'll be talking about enrollment statistics for the annual enrollment period that we just completed, as well as enrollment for all of 2019. I'll be showing you high level, what's happening in the overall market, as well as drilling down to individual states to show you which players performed well. Look forward to seeing you in our next episode. Thanks for watching.
0: Thanks, Craig. A lot of information in episode two of our State of the Senior Market series, Medicare regulation and legislation. That's two episodes down, two episodes to go, and then we will have the live Q&A session on March 26th that you will want to register for if you've got questions for Craig. Just a quick reminder, our State of the Senior Market series is available in both video and audio formats. Podcast episodes will be published on Sundays throughout most of the month of March, For the full schedule and exact dates, be sure to visit our show notes. We will have the links to other episodes in this series, a link to watch the videos, and the link to register for that Q&A webinar, so make sure you check out the show notes. Episode three is up next. In that, Craig will talk enrollment stats for 2020, and you do not want to miss out on that. We recommend subscribing or following our feed to stay updated with new episodes as they're published, and it is super easy to do that. Just tap on the subscribe or follow button right now. Thanks for taking the time to listen and support our podcast. We would not be here without you. And thank you for joining us for this installment of Ritter's 2020 State of the Senior Market. We'll see you next episode.